The following message is entitled, Hourglass Mercy Power Unleashed, Part 2. This message was given during the morning service on August 21, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Still in middle Sundays of the month, so we're still Sunday mornings in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 and 2. I out loud use quietly in your copy of the text. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And here's the power. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Reviewing the outline in your note sheet today, the first priority of these three epistles written to the churches of the church age, the first priority God has is chapter one. God wants true teachers and pure doctrine in our churches. That's the outline point and priority number one. Underneath it, we're beginning a detailed outline of this chapter then. And the first Roman numeral one is the church was founded by Christ and the apostles. We looked in verse one at God's true servant, the apostle Paul, letter A. We've looked at letter B, the apostle's true servant, Pastor Timothy. And now letter C, the great trilogy empowering God's servants. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now let me remind you something about these three. The first two are the source of power. And they're listed there under letter C. Try power number one, grace. Try power number two, mercy. They're the source of power. The third one is the outworking of power, peace. Not the only outworking, but a major one for it to be mentioned here. As I tell you every time in the introduction, this is not a glib little phrase to introduce a letter like, how's it going, how are you doing, good morning. Paul is giving us the powerhouse of the Christian life for leaders, Christians, and the church at any age. We live by grace as we've already seen. Grace is walking by faith. Grace is walking by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, you're sanctified by faith. Colossians 2 says, as you receive Christ, so walk, so live the Christian life. We receive Christ by faith, we walk by faith. That triggers grace power. Grace is unmerited favor, power towards us to sanctify. When we don't live by faith, practically speaking, the power is strangled. In your introduction, then next to the hourglass, we're continuing today to look at the second powerhouse, the hourglass mercy power that is unleashed, as the sermon title says, Lessons from the Hourglass of God's Mercy. Lesson one that we've seen, the hourglass of mercy in Saul. We looked at Saul, who was an apostate. In the conclusion we made, I made, and you, I would assume, concurred with lesson one as there's no mercy for an apostate. In fact, if you read Hebrews 4 and 6, it tells us it's impossible for an apostate to be renewed unto salvation. Do we pray for apostates? No. You don't pray for an apostate. How do we know if it's an apostate or not? Most times we don't. 
because they masquerade. Remember that uh, Matthew 13 tells us that apostates are the tares mixed in with the wheat. Nowhere in that parable of the wheat and the tares are we told to pray for the tares. What Christ says is you leave the apostates intertwined in the church, can't be saved, one day they will be judged. There are evidences, though, that manifest. In fact, the Bible does say that we many times can see an apostate. Otherwise, there'd be no point to the book of Jude. Jude is an analysis of an apostate. That's all it is. An apostate is a fake unbeliever, one who claims to be saved, pretends to be saved at church, reads their Bibles, gives testimonies, sings the hymns, serves in the church, and yet they're unsaved, they're fakes. They know it, Satan knows it, God knows it. Most in the church do not. If you couldn't out an apostate many times, there would be no point, as I just said, for the book of Jude. And God really goes at an analysis of an apostate. Like nothing else in the Bible, there are 48 characteristics of an apostate in that one little book of Jude. The theological word that comes to my mind after saying that is, wow. Lesson number two that we've learned is the hourglass of mercy and Jehoshaphat. Godly, backslidden, godly. That's kind of how Jehoshaphat's life could be marked. Godly, backslidden, godly. And there's no mercy for rebellious believers without repentance. But as we study Jehoshaphat's life, he cried out to God in the midst of his danger, repented, and God granted him mercy. Lesson three that we've studied is the hourglass picture. What does that mean? And I've given it to you there as well in the note sheet. There's a time limit to God's mercy. And he doesn't tell us when that limit has been achieved. That's a sovereign decision. No voice from God saying, oh, Monday at 9 a.m., mercy from me will run out for you. He's sovereign. He's watching. He's assessing our minds and hearts. He determines when the hourglass runs out. Lesson four is what we're currently in. Lesson four, actually, we finished lesson four last Sunday. We're going to be in lesson five. But... Uh, Lesson four, we can only tell when mercy has run out by observing the evidences in a believer's life. And to make it simple for you by way of review, there's two major evidences that one is in rebellion. And rebellion is what triggers the hourglass to run out for the believer. Two evidences. Number one, chastisement from the Lord. Starts with loss of assurance and leads to the taking of the life. Chastisement from the Lord. It's rapid. That's evidence number one under lesson four. Second evidences are major marks of carnality and rebellion. If those are in the life, the hourglass has run out. Any of the marks, and I gave you those last week. The major marks, I did the hard work of looking and studying on issues of rebellion. And I've given you in past sermons, including last Sunday, the major evidences that mercy has drawn to a close, the hourglass has run out. If any one of those evidences are in one's life and one is not being rapidly chastised by God, 
that means such a person is an apostate and there's no hope of their salvation. Chastisement is a major tell that a backslidden Christian is either saved or an apostate. Lesson number five. It's kind of in the middle of the story now. We've been buried in some issues of mercy for so long that I want to go back and remind us of some things. Lesson five. The word for mercy is Elias, and at its root it means pity or compassion. Pity or compassion. Upon those who deserve to be judged or chastised. Pity, compassion upon those who deserve to be judged or chastised. We always, as believers, deserve to be chastised or judged. Why? We sin. And sin isn't sorry, I made a mistake. Sin is we choose to do wrong. And we have a lot of tools in our sin tool chest. I can think of four major tools. We sin with our words, we sin with our actions, we sin with our minds, and in the mind, of course, as well as emotion. The mind includes thought sins and decision-making sins. We sin a lot, over and over. Predominantly, our sin as believers is repetitive, habitual. We know that from Romans 7. We just sin the same sins over and over. It tasks us. It frustrates us. It raises doubts when we see no victory. We start to doubt our salvation. That's the evidence that God is chastising. And yet God's mercy is still there. Imagine if every day that you came to church, I slapped you hard and yelled at you, and I did that every single service for years. Do you think you'd still have pity and compassion upon me? You'd quit the church. Right? Yeah. We slap God every time we sin. Every time. Sin is an offense to God. You think he likes it? Think it's okay? But he doesn't abandon us. So, well, wait a minute. You said that the hourglass can run out. That's mercy runs out, but abandonment isn't taking place when a mercy runs out. God doesn't abandon us when the hourglass of mercy runs out towards us. He just switched tracks from mercy and growth to chastisement and judgment. A letter A under Lesson 5. We not only need grace power to be righteous, but mercy power to withhold wrath continually. We not only need grace power to be righteous, but mercy power to withhold wrath continually. What does that mean? Under letter A, 
Grace is proactive. It is power to do right towards us. Grace is proactive. Two edges of the sword of power. Grace is proactive. Imagine a sword then. And as I've taught you before, grace is the swinging of the sword proactively. Mercy is God's power to withhold hell. And imagine the sword being turned flat side toward the enemy and parrying the blows. How close is hell to us? Where is hell's location? Don't say down. Hell isn't down. Because for a Chinese believer, down is up. They're on the other side of the earth. Right? So if you look straight down, you're looking towards communist China. Isn't that a happy thought today? Where is hell? It's an alternate reality of some type. It's not anywhere in the universe. Just as heaven isn't in the universe. So you have to go to hell or heaven by what? Dying. How close is hell? How fast can one die? Fast. Seven seconds could have been for me. The door to hell or to heaven is death. We never know what a day will bring. Do you know if your heart will stop? I was reading in my smart news app, which is a warehouse of English-speaking newspaper articles from around the world. There was this young woman in Europe. She died at the age of 25, just instantly dropped dead. We assume only old people die. It's not true. Do you know when death is coming for you? So death is always right here. In fact, it is so close that God in the Old Testament says death can be triggered by God simply pressing the nostrils closed. We have plans for today. We have things we're going to do. We assume that we will do those. Death is a door opened unexpectedly, most times, and unplanned for. Stopping us dead in our tracks. My office is a royal mess right now. Most times it is. I look at it, I personify my office, and I say, you are a messy office. Stop being that way. It's my fault. If I die, someone else has to clean my office. All your appointments end. Your bank accounts, you can't access. You can't transfer funds to anyone. The problems with your car, maintenance issues are left undone. This close is death. This close is hell for the apostate and the unbeliever. This close is heaven 
for the believer. How close is mercy? It continually is right next to death, keeping us forever from hell. What a gift. What a gift. If God disappeared or died, hell would await us again. It is not our salvation, ultimately, that keeps us from hell. It is God agreeing to grant us grace and salvation through our faith. And he really dumbs down that faith to the point where it just has to be the size of a mustard seed. So look at that letter A. Mercy power is right next to you, continually keeping you from the gates of hell. What a blessing. Divine power to grow. Grace. Divine power to prevent hell. Mercy. He never tires of being sympathetic and compassionate towards us. He never says, enough with you, you've sinned repetitively, I've changed my mind to hell you go. Uh-uh. We're forever lost without this divine power of grace to save, and hell awaits us forever without his divine power of mercy to hold back hell from us. Two realities. On each side of us, heaven or hell, every human, does one go to heaven or does one go to hell? And in between is we as humans, we choose our destiny based on God's sovereignty and election. But if he saves us, 1 Peter chapter 1, go over there, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13, if he saves us, then what is preserved is heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit. That's the reality of living the Christian life now. 1 Peter 1, 13. Fix your hope completely. That's a command. It's four words in the English. It's only two words in the Greek. It is completely... Hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a command, it's not an emotion, it's obeyed by will. You're to hope completely, fulfilled, completely. To completely give you, it's a culminative aorist in the Greek. All that means is that this is the capstone to your life. It's not, a, it's not an ingressive, which would be the inception or beginning of hope. He's not rebuking them, saying, you need to begin to have hope. This is a culminative aorist. And the idea here is, in verse 13, this is the completion of your life, that you hope every day fully. And what is the direction of the hope? On grace to be brought to you currently at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not the second coming. That's referring to the revelation of Christ in your heart to be saved. You're to hope continuously on this grace that never leaves you. It is right here you're to have hope. For the apostate and the unbeliever, 
hell right here. The human stands in between these destinies. Grace drives us permanently and securely into heaven. Mercy keeps us permanently and securely out of hell. Salvation is not just salvation unto heaven. It is salvation from hell. And sanctification is not just power to grow. It is power to keep us continuously out of hell. We did nothing to deserve that. Letter B. Back to your note sheet under lesson five. Further understanding of Elias. It is kindness or goodness towards wicked people, the miserable, the afflicted with sin. Kindness or goodness towards wicked people, the miserable, afflicted with sin. It is a divine desire to relieve Relieve what? The consequences of sin. It is a divine desire to relieve us from the consequences of our sin. Grace is divine desire to empower us to resist sin. Mercy is divine desire and power to keep us from the consequences of sin. Even practically speaking, without mercy, we'd be beaten down with terror that God's going to strike us down when we sin as his children. The Christian who's always afraid that God's going to abandon them or, oh God, they pray piously, many Christians do. This is great evil. Oh God, please do not cast me off. It's a Christian who knows nothing of God's mercy. That's why fear and terror on the issues of life is basically a, an attack against mercy. It is saying God is not with me, he's against me. He's abandoned me to these trials and suffering as we're learning on Sunday nights. Without mercy, we would be beaten down with terror that God is going to strike us down and abandon us as his children. But mercy is always there, just like grace. Salvation-wise, certainly God switches tracks, practically speaking, on mercy if we're in rebellion. But we never lose his mercy of salvation. That's unconditional. So... He unconditionally chose to save us and to relieve us from the consequences of our sin. We didn't do anything to earn that at conversion. He can't abandon his children because he can't deny his mercy towards us. He will not. That would be unholy. Again, fear and terror in the heart of a believer is an attack against the mercy of God. This does not mean he does not chastise us, as I've been teaching you. Mercy and discipline are partners, but they're not the same. Mercy is a desire to relieve. Grace is a desire to cause us to grow. When we rebel against grace and mercy, chastisement kicks in. It is God attempting to drive us back to living under grace and mercy. Chastisement does that. If it doesn't work and we rebel against chastisement, he takes the believer home. Lesson six, the offer of mercy is, to mankind is unconditional. The offer of mercy to mankind is unconditional. Free and available to all. Free and available to all. The offer of mercy to mankind is unconditional. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. That's the righteous, perfect one for the unrighteous human. So that he might bring us to God. That's the power of grace having been put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the Spirit. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. The offer of mercy is unconditional. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 17 is our series on Sunday nights, 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. That's the calling of a believer. But look at 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins, just as I quoted, what I just quoted to you, the just for the unjust, so that he may bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That's grace power having put our lordship of our sin to death, made us alive. That's grace. Grace made us alive in the spirit. That's grace power. Verse 19, in which also he went, made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Most likely those in Genesis 6 corrupted by sin is a possibility the Sethites might be referring to. We don't know. But look at verse 20. Who once were disobedient. That's a definition of an unbeliever. A state of being disobedient. Who once were disobedient. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. That's mercy. That the eight were saved from judgment. The few were saved. That's mercy. Mercy is always less saved. Grace is just the right number saved. Mercy is always the few have the withholding of judgment. So verse 18 is grace empowerment made alive in the spirit. Mercy is brought safely through the water. These are the two arms of God's unconditional offer to mankind. To save the believer from sins at conversion, save the person who becomes a believer, and to spare them the waters of judgment. What a tremendous gift. Grace and mercy. Next Sunday, or next time, not next Sunday, we'll go back to our Love of Christ series, but next time in September, I want to stay in Lesson 6. And we need to examine a very important passage, Romans 9, verses 14 to 24, and another very important passage about this unconditional offer. Keep in mind, then, the two powerhouses. You live in grace by faith to grow. You live in mercy, rejoicing by faith you're never going to hell. You live by grace and faith. You live in mercy by renouncing fears and terror. To live without faith is to attack grace. To live in fear is to attack mercy. Any Christian who lives attacking faith, any Christian who lives in fear attacking mercy is in rebellion. Chastisement always for such believers. We're to rejoice that hell this close will never reach us. And we're to live in grace and rejoice that grace and heaven this close awaits us. The closing of the nostrils, we go to heaven. For the apostate and the unbeliever, the closing of the nostrils, instantly into hell. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We rejoice in grace that saves and sanctifies.
and we rejoice in your mercy which withholds hell from us. May we live by faith, trusting your power to cause us to grow today. May we live by faith, rejoicing that you will never cast us off as your children. May we never be legalists, performing and doing good to keep your grace. May we never be legalists, Lord, seeking to keep you through obedience from casting us off into hell. Grace empowerment to grow is a massive power to make us holiness. Mercy power, Lord, drives us to trust you and rejoice that you will never cast us off. May we be warned that we should never walk out from under grace and mercy. And we do this, Lord, in rebellion when we live faithless, fearful lives. Then we know from your word the hourglass of mercy runs out practically. Then you move in like a lion on the believer to judge and chastise us. Even that chastisement is your love. Thank you, Lord, that your word tells us you will never leave us nor forsake us. We do not perform to earn your grace or to keep hell from us in mercy. We trust to receive grace. We rejoice to receive mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.